The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary quick, go, get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. O oh Lord, may your word only be spoken. And may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Jesus began to weep. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you remember the recording or the television special or the musical called Free to Be You and Me? Okay, a few. We've been reliving that experience in our uh, household the last year or so. Uh, if you didn't know about it, it's from the early 70s, as you might, as you might guess, with the title like that. Um, Marlo Thomas and Alan Alda and Mel Brooks and Diana Ross and Carol Channing and other musical luminaries of the time put together this piece that was meant to be a celebration of individuality and tolerance and freedom from gender, gender stereotypes. One of the cast members was a man named Rosie Greer. Some of you may remember the lovably huge lineman for the Giants and for the Rams and also known for his expertise in needlepoint and macrame. Well, he had a song called It's All Right to Cry. And it went something like this. It's all right to cry. Crying gets the sad out of you. It's all right to cry. You may feel better. <laughs> 
raindrops from your eyes, washing all the mad out of you, raindrops from your eyes, you know you will feel better. Right before that song, there's a vignette where Dudley Pippin is very upset. He's a little boy and he's been accused of upsetting the sandbox unjustly. And he starts to cry and his principal reassures him, you know, sissies are people who are afraid to cry. I think it's fair to say that there are no sissies in the Bible. People are crying all the time in the Bible. In fact, in Jewish tradition, there is even a midrash about the very first tear. You may recall that midrash is the tradition of using a biblical text, starting with the biblical text, and then using a God-breathed imagination to bring new life to those texts, kind of imagining what's between the lines, so to speak. And so the midrash that talks about the first tear goes something like this. God presents Adam and Eve with the first tear after they had been banished from the Garden of Eden. And seeing them to be penitent, God, the compassionate one, says gently to them, because of your sin, I have sent you into a world of staggering sorrow and trouble. But my benevolence and love for you will never end. And for this reason, I give you out of my heavenly treasure, this priceless pearl, a tear. When grief overtakes you and your heart aches beyond enduring, then there will fall from your eye this tiny tear. And your burden will grow lighter. Now, Adam and Eve are overwhelmed with their sorrow as they hear this. And their tears moisten the earth. And they leave these tears as a precious heritage to their children. And since then, whenever a human being is in great anguish, the tears flow from our eyes and the gloom is lifted. I think we've all experienced in our own lives the truth of the adage, there's nothing like a good cry. And in fact, if we look at the science, biology uh, reinforces this truth. It confirms it. Crying, in fact, removes toxic stress uh, uh, hormones that build up before we cry. It releases endorphins, those feel-good drugs that are in our bodies waiting to be released. And practically, it cleanses our eyes. If we're not seeing well, The tears make them clean. And our Lord this morning confirms all this good psychology, this good science, and this good theology. Jesus began to weep. But the question may be, why is Jesus crying? It's not so clear as it seems, I don't think. We might think that Jesus is crying because his close, close friend, Lazarus, has died. But then why would he have chosen to wait for two days before going to see him 
He knows that he has the power to cure illness, to stop death. Why did he wait? Jesus could be crying out of frustration because after all, these friends, these onlookers who he's been teaching, his friends for quite a long time, they just don't get it, right? On and on. Again, they don't get what he's doing. It's for the glory of God. They don't get it. But nowhere else in the Gospel of John where the disciples and others are constantly not getting it, nowhere else does Jesus display the same visceral reaction. Jesus' tears here, they come in, in the midst of a, of a tangled bundle of very, very intense emotions. The most intense, in fact, attributed to him anywhere in the Gospels. This is the most intense moment, at least the way it's described, even more than the Garden of Gethsemane in the other three Gospels. John doesn't have a Garden of Gethsemane. This is it. Depending on the translation, Jesus is described as angry, as disturbed, as perturbed, as deeply troubled, as deeply moved, indignant. He's deeply, deeply distressed, in in turmoil even. Well, what's going on here? Mary says to him, come and see. When asked, where is Lazarus? As if he didn't already know where Lazarus was, right? She says to him, come and see. And that's when he begins to weep. Elsewhere in John, come and see is the invitation to discipleship. Come and see. Remember the woman at the well? Come and see. Elsewhere in John, come and see. Here, come and see is the invitation to gaze on Lazarus' death and to get a glimpse of his own. The raising of Lazarus leads to Jesus' own death. The Pharisees and scribes are so terrified by this act that immediately after they begin to gather together and to plot how they're going to put Jesus to death. And even Lazarus, he's just an innocent bystander, right? They're, trying to, they're going to try to kill him too because he keeps talking about it, how he's been raised from the dead. Perhaps Jesus knew something like this could happen would happen. No wonder he hesitated just for a moment to come to Bethany, even when his dearest friend said, please come. No wonder the intense complexity and depth and turmoil that goes goes on inside him. In contemplating Lazarus' life, Jesus faces the inevitability of his own death. His own death. The inevitability that his death, minus none of the agony, through his death, God's mighty power to give life will triumph. But first, before the triumph, The agony. You probably recall that barely four months ago, we celebrate the 
primary claim, scandalous claim of our faith that we celebrate at Christmas. It's called the Incarnation. We claim that God became fully human in the form of Jesus. And I would say the complexity of Jesus' tears confirms the truth of that incredible claim. God became fully human. No attribute more fully displays the depth and complexity of our humanity than our tears. I've heard that primates cry, that pachyderms cry. Their tears are not like our tears. Jesus weeps for Lazarus' death, for his death, for Lazarus' life, for the incomprehension and, and for the love of his friends. He weeps for the hatred of those who misunderstand. There is joy, there is sorrow, there is fear, there is anger, all wrapped into one. Jesus weeps for us. He weeps for those around him. He weeps for himself. He is one of us. He is preparing himself to go through that fire that is fully known, that hell, that torment that he knows fully and he's freely chosen it. And he can only avoid it if he refuses to be true to himself, if he refuses to be true to the call that God has given him. To love God and to love his neighbor. But he can't. He won't take the easy way. Jesus began to weep. 